Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. We're also proud to partner with Sitka Gear. And if you go to sitkagear.com, you'll see their full line of clothing. And their tagline is turning clothing into gear. And they are doing that through advanced technology that allows you to stay in the field longer, hunt harder, and stay safer. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. Um, the, the insider is changing how haunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, Corey. Yeah. I got a question for you. Now, what's your question? What significance does April 2nd, 2019 have for an elk hunter? Well, I have three almost teenage children in my home, and so April 2nd is the day that I recover from all the April Fool's jokes that I have to endure on April 1st. Oh, wow. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. Oh. I was well, looking for the fact that the Colorado elk, deer, antelope deadline 
and for our purposes, we're focused on the elk deadline, is April 2nd, 2019. Well, there's that too. Yeah. So, <laughs> spoiler alert. That's yeah. what we're going to talk about, right? And the deadline is 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time in Colorado this year, not midnight like it's been in years past. Really? There's been yeah. a lot of changes to Colorado. I almost feel like we got to recant a few things we said when we were talking about which states are what priority in your budgeting. <laughs> because Colorado picked up on the fact that every other state was charging these really ridiculous fees for applications and for points. And <clears throat> I'm here thumbing through my regulations and I know some people are like, Newberg, why don't you have it on your computer so we don't have to hear pages flipping? But they mailed it to me, so I thought I better put it to use. If they're going to kill a bunch of trees, I thought I should get some utility out of it. That's right. Well, I'm sure it's recycled paper. Yeah. My brother's a <laughs> logger. He doesn't like recycled paper. <laughs> Use a new sheet uh, every time. But uh, this year... You got to buy what's called a qualifying license. In other yeah. words, you have to buy one of the licenses that qualify for applying. And for those of us non-residents, it's probably going to be the annual small game license, which is a non-refundable $81.75 investment. Yeah, but then you have a license in Colorado and you can hunt small game. Right. And then you have to also buy a habitat stamp, which Another is not refundable. So now we're up to eighty-one plus ten is ninety-one dollars and seventy-five cents. But then they get you for another nine-dollar application fee yeah. for each species. So that's one hundred dollars and seventy-five cents in. I think there's some other like search and rescue fee or something. I don't know. By the time you're all done, it's just slightly more than $100 to apply and build a point in Colorado this year, which yep. is way, way different than what it was last year. Because last year you had to pay the fee up front for the tag. Yeah, but you, it only cost you like three bucks or something for yeah, your to point. apply. Well, your point, you had to pay, if you didn't hold a license, you had to pay, was it $40? Yeah, you're for right. Elk, yeah, I think. And then the application fee or yep. something like so that. So it's, it's basically a little more than doubled this year. Yeah. Which, so, you know, going back to our New Mexico podcast, they're charging a non-refundable license fee this year. Yep. Uh, $65. Montana so. is Montana's off the charts expensive to apply there. Colorado decided they wanted in the money-making business, and yep. here we go. Yeah, so our idea of where it was less expensive, if you were on this budget, the, this we had this kind of hypothetical budget that we were helping people deal with. Well, how to spend that just got a little more complicated with Colorado coming up with their their change for this year. So, oh well, uh, if you yeah, want to go out, the good news, good news you is gotta, you can buy a. You can buy a bear tag in Colorado now as a non-resident for just $100. So if you do go hunting yeah. there, they made that less expensive. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pretend like that's worth something. That's like Montana <laughs> yeah. adds a fishing license to your elk license. Yeah. Uh, 
who really cares? I mean, I love to fish, but when I if I came from out of state to go elk hunting, I'm coming to elk hunt. I don't yeah. even bring a fishing rod with me. Yep. So Colorado, uh, it's, you know, dropping the price of the non-resident bear tag. I mean, if you get any kinder down there, you'll probably dive enlargement of the heart or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, but. let's jump. Let's jump back really quickly because qualifying the license, there is the small game license, but there's also the turkey license, right? The right. Spring turkey license. Yep. So uh, somebody who's applying that wanted to go and hunt turkey there could buy the turkey license and get away right. with using that as their qualifying license. Yeah, and what's that? Like 150 bucks for the <laughs> yeah. non-resident turkey license, something like that. Yep. So I'm a tightwad accountant, so I was going with the cheaper option. No, I, I will do the same as well. So with that, we, we have a, a change to what we've been talking about as to where Colorado fit on the scale of good budget allocation versus, mm, you know, there's better options. The, the flip side of this is I think the annual small game license would you have to all, I, I should know this, but I don't, but let's say that you're going to use Colorado as your leftover opportunity and you're going to go there and hunt the over-the-counter second rifle, third rifle, or archery. Um, I wonder if you'd have to buy that annual small game license just to purchase your, your elk tag. You do not. So your el the over-the-counter stuff is completely separate. This is only for applications. Applications. That's yep. what I thought. So if you are not going to apply for a controlled limited hunt in Colorado, you don't have to have a qualifying license. You can there just you go, go and buy your elk license. So some people may say, you know what, I'm not going to apply for a limited entry tag. I'm not going to build a point in Colorado. I'm just going to use the over-the-counter option if I don't draw somewhere else. That would be a better utilization of your money. Yep. So in effect, what we're saying is the cost to acquire a point for the limited entry preference point draws in Colorado going to cost you a little north of 100 bucks. Yep. Hmm. Non-refundable. Non-refundable, yeah. And I was actually on Go Hunt Insider this morning looking at my own Colorado application and what to do there and... <laughs> With my 15 points for what, elk. 15 points? For elk and for mule deer, or for deer. Oh, we are going to be friends. <laughs> well, it doesn't help you any because we can't combine Take back it on all those things I've been saying about you on other platforms. <laughs> uh, it doesn't do you any wow, good. Wow, you've because got in, 15 elk points. Yeah, but mm, in Colorado, if we apply... time soon? Well, I, I'm thinking so. Okay. But you do know if we apply together in Colorado, we don't get to share points. It, it takes the person with the lowest points. So Yeah, I could bring you right down. If, if we did a party app, I could bring you right down to two points. Nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> what they do, folks, what Corey's talking about is in Colorado, if you apply as a party, you go into the draw with whatever point total the lowest person in the party has. So Corey's got 15, I've got two. If we went into the draw together, our application would go in with two preference points. It would disregard the other 13 preference points that Corey has. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Don't so, want to do that. Yeah. 
<laughs> we, we can still be friends, but I not know for that reason. Corey, hey, Randy, we're friends, but we're not that good of friends. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to be friends for another reason. <laughs> uh, well, that's amazing. You got 15 deer points. Holy cow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I could draw pretty much any deer tag in the state, I think. Yeah, I got zero deer points. I went there last year. Yeah. It was fun. Colorado is like great, great meal there, hunting. But since we're talking about elk talk, uh, what, you, you, are you holding out for any specific unit or are you just thinking that when it fits your schedule, you'll worry about it then? You know, that's probably a good lead in to talk about the preference point systems that a lot of states have because when I started applying, I was looking at unit two, 201, 10, you know, the northwest corner where yeah. back in, you know, 15 years ago, those those units were producing really good bulls, and I think they still are, yeah. uh, just not quite as as good as they were. And plus, you know, back then I could draw that hunt with seven or eight points. Right. And now I was on Insider this morning just looking and filtering 2.0, and I don't even have a chance of ever drawing. I think it's 24 points to draw the archery tag in those units, and yep. every year it goes up by a point. Cause just look at the number of applicants who have mm -hmm. max points who are applying for that and how many tags they issue every year and they're never going to work through the max point pool right because last year in unit two uh it took a whole gob of points <laughs> uh it took 26 points to draw the archery tag in unit two last year that's a bum deal yeah and I don't remember how um, many there were, tags. And there was only issued. one archery tag. One archery tag for non-residents. Yeah. And how many and people applied? Total total number of applicants last year uh, were, boop, 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 let's see, I can't count that fast and that far. <laughs> A lot. Let's yeah. put it that way. So, <clears throat> and you're at what, 15? 15. So right now there are, or as of last year, there were 9, 15, 16, 17, 24 people ahead of you. Yeah. Well, if you Applying for yeah. that specific tag. Yeah, just for that tag. And so at one. one tag a year, there's 24 yeah. people ahead of you. How old are you? Uh old enough to know that I'm not going to draw that day. <laughs> so they call that point creep is what, what the term that's often used. And uh, right, go on. Brady did a good article about point creep and how to, how to use your points realistically based on what we've seen as the patterns of point creep in states like Colorado. And people have been buying points, buying points, just standing on the sidelines. And then they see, ah, this might be the year I can do it. So instead of buying points, they jump in and actually apply. And now you get five guys who applied with one point above where you were, two points above where you were. And now that pushes it out five more years before you can draw that tag. So, Yep. And that's basically what's happened with me is... You know, we started building for those Northwest units. And at the time, you could draw unit 76 with, you know, five or six points, the archery tag there. And I mm -hmm. looked this morning, it's 14 points for a non-resident to draw unit 76, which you're realistically hunting 300-inch bulls. 
Yeah. I mean, it's managed for sure, but there's between the muzzleloader season and the archery hunters that hit, you know, the muzzleloaders, what, the 14th through the 22nd of September this year. And you're going to be hunting with over 200 people in this unit, hunting between nine and 12,000 feet and hunting 300 inch bulls. And realistically, is that much different than an over the counter hunt? Yeah. I thought we were supposed to be promoting people to apply in Colorado, Corey. Are we? <laughs> uh, I, I think just, we're I think uh, my, my whole point with the point system is if you're just getting into it, especially a preference point where Colorado is strictly preference point, so you have no chance of drawing a limited tag in Colorado unless you have the maximum point, unless you're in the maximum point pool for that tag. And if you're just getting in... Unless you're looking for one of those two or three point hunts to draw every few years, which those are becoming fewer and farther between, you know, don't don't get your hopes up that you're ever going to draw a quality limited elk license in the state of Colorado if you're just starting. Yeah. So the, for the example of preference points, you've got 15, I've got two. So if we both apply for the same unit... They're going to look at anyone who has more points than you and award them a tag. And if there are tags left over after giving tags to everyone at 16 and above, you might be in the running for one of the remaining tags because you're at the next point level. Yep. And let's say you're the only person at that point level and there's eight tags left. Well, you're going to get one and then they're going to go down and say, all right, we got seven tags left after we gave Corey his. Now let's go down to everyone who's got 14 and see how many tags are there and give some away and keep working their way down the ladder of points. And Randy sitting down here at the bottom of the ladder with two points, I don't have a prayer in heck that I'm <laughs> that I'm going to draw anything more than just the run-of-the-mill stuff so yep. it that gets to our short-term mid-term and long-term strategy planning that we've been talking about of what what should be your reasonable expectations and the insider has a really good analysis of what you should be thinking about and what what's likely at your point level um First, I burnt my burned my 19 points in 2016, and it's no secret. Unit 61 is one of those high demand units. It's lower demand than those ones you rattled off up in the northwest corner. But I burned 19 points for a third season hunt. So they'd already had the early rifle, the first rifle, and the muzzle loader and the archery guys there before I got there and the second season guys. So there had been five seasons ahead of mine, and I burnt 19 points <laughs> to go hunt that. That's, that's just the reality of, of how it is with the point process in Colorado. So, yeah. Well, and we, when we were publishing Extreme Elk Magazine back, what, five, six years ago, we did a, a story a guy had drawn Unit 61, and it took him, I think, 13 points to draw Unit 61 archery tag. And that was within the last six years. And last year, you had to have 22 points to draw the Unit 61 archery tag. So it's not just going up by one point a year. It's going up by sometimes two points a year, what it requires. And it, it goes back to what you mentioned. I have not actually applied for an elk tag 
in Colorado in 15 years. I just buy the point. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm one of those guys that hasn't factored into any of the draw odds because I'm just sitting on the fence collecting a point. So next year when I jump in with 16 points and go to draw my tag, which I can draw with 10 points, so I've got more than enough points and I'm just wasting wasting points here. But when I go to jump in there, somebody who's expecting to draw that tag might not draw it because now here this newcomer to the application comes in and jumps ahead of them. So anyone who doesn't draw next year, they should blame Corey Jacobson. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I've got two points. So I'm using the idea that I'll never again accumulate a lot of points. So where are the places or the season dates that with two points I can go? And I know I'm not going to find humongous bulls, but I'm looking for a hunt where there's fewer people in the woods. And that's that's really what your your lower point totals are going to get you in Colorado. Um, your, all of the first season rifle hunts, uh, first rifle season this year is October 12th through the 16th. Just about all of those are on a limited entry draw. They all are, uh, not just about. All of them are on a limited entry draw. And really what you're doing is you're saying, I want to go hunt this, and I know there's going to be a lot fewer people in the woods. That's that's what my two points is going to get me. Yep. So, and this year, because of my calendar, I'm going to end up, well, I already did it. I went and bought a point the other day. Uh, that's how I know it cost me. A, I think there was an extra fee, so it cost me $101.75, if I remember right. Uh, and in that process, now I've got three points next year. So what is three points going to get me next year? Yeah, nothing real spectacular. But there are some places where I'm going to be able to draw uh, either an archery tag. I'm probably going to do the first rifle just because it fits calendars better based on where I hunt uh, in November. And I know I'm not going to go there and see 320-inch elk standing around, but that's all right. I'm going to have the woods a little bit more to myself than what you do in the -the over-the-counter units. Yeah. So. And just as you were talking there, I jumped into filtering 2.0 and put, if you have three points as a non-resident, you want hundred percent draw odds and looking at first rifle season, there are actually three units that pop up with, uh, with that opportunity for a 320 inch or better trophy potential. So. Dang yep, it. Corey, quit uh, telling people about I that. I didn't tell them what units they were. Okay. I just so you're saying they'd have to go to the insider <laughs> and use promo code ELKTALK and then yeah. they could use the filtering 2.0 that you just did there. And, and honestly, I've been a member of Go Hunt since they came out. Me too. This season though, since you and I have been doing the podcasts on every state and the application strategy, I've dug into it more and more and just continue finding these little hidden gems that open yeah. my eyes to some of these states that I've been either building points or not applying in. And yeah. it's, uh, I mean, one of these units that we just, that I talked about has a 38 to 100 bull to cow ratio with 81% public land and you're hundred percent guaranteed to draw the first rifle hunt. Well, <clears throat> people know where I'm going to be next year. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. <laughs> but you, like you said, you didn't give the unit number, that's but right. that's all right. So, I, and uh, to, to that point, with Colorado, the beauty of it is there's 23 million acres of public land in Colorado. 
And you and I live in states that are really good towards hunters. Excuse me. In case people can't tell on my end of the phone, I'm suffering from like some sort of melon head, puffy, swollen. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Corey can see me. Uh, I've got a sinus infection that I can hardly open my eyes. So I apologize if I'm coughing and hacking here. But uh, you and I live in states that are very... Uh, I guess, accommodating to hunters on their state lands. You and I in Idaho, do you guys have to buy a recreation permit? We do not. Okay. In Montana, we got to buy, I think it's a 10 or $12 annual recreation permit, and it allows you to hunt the 5 million acres of state land here. In Colorado, that's not the case. You cannot hunt state land, the little blue sections on your map in Colorado, unless you have permission from the person or entity that is leasing those state lands. So in some instances, Colorado Parks and Wildlife does lease some of the state lands and they lease it specifically to provide hunting access. But last I looked, I think they lease 10 or 12% of those lands. That's all their budget allows or can afford. So if you're accustomed to hunting a state where you can hunt state lands, when you show up in Colorado, make sure you've not built a hunting strategy based on hunting those little blue sections on your map. Man, and I was not fully aware of that. So I'm actually sitting here on OnX now looking to see (laughs) the unit I was just looking at in Colorado, how uh, viable it really is. Uh, it's in some units, it's really a pain. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I mean, you have to almost treat it like private land. Yeah, you do. It's, it's weird. Uh, you, you can't camp, hike, hunt, fish, anything on those state lands without the permission of the leaseholder. So yeah, just something that, that people need to be aware of Absolutely. when they're doing this. Because, like you said, you'd hate to put all your eggs in a, in a basket and want to go do a, a great hunt, have it all figured out, and then you get there and you realize, oops, can't hunt those lands. Yeah. That would, that would not be good. That, that would almost ruin your day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what else do we need to get into? We, we've given them the deadline. We have told them how the draw system works. I I think with our example of you and I, I think that was a pretty decent explanation of how the preference point system works. Yeah. And then if you don't draw, the beauty of Colorado, and and this is why Colorado is part of the short-term, mid-term, whatever term. Corey's been in the short-term mode for the long-term. That's how he got 15 points. Uh But the reality of it is there's this option called the over the tag option and uh, or over the tag, over the counter. (laughs) I'm over the tag. tag. I'm over the tag in Colorado. All right, Corey, I'm telling you, I'm I'm not doing well this morning with this sinus infection. So you're going to have to straighten people out when I lead them down the wrong path here. (laughs) Uh, well, I was I was actually waiting to find out what the over the tag was because <laughs> that sounds like an option. Well, I think there's about 90 units in Colorado that are over the counter. In other words, you can just buy that tag for 
the second and third rifle seasons and I think also some of the archery seasons. Yeah. And just go elk hunting. And a little bit of thought you got to give to that is if season is already open when you get there, you have to buy the tag from a Colorado Parks and Wildlife office. If you get there before season is open, you can buy it from any licensed vendor. Beginning on a certain date, isn't it? Is that like August 9th or something? something Yeah. Yeah. Can't remember. But anyhow, um, yeah, I just tell people if you're going to go, buy it online and uh, have it with you when you go. That way you don't got to worry about getting there at midnight and no licensed vendors are open and you want to hunt the next morning. Yep. So. Uh, most of those units that are over-the-counter options are, I'd say, uh, not all of them, but most of them are west on the west slope. Uh, most of them are also west of I-25 that runs north and south through Colorado. Uh, but you got to be careful. There's a map that's published out there. It's both in the regulations and it's Go Hunt has it on the Insider of what these units are. So don't go and buy an over-the-counter tag and say, oh gosh, I think I'm going to go hunt up here in the northwest corner. I'm going to go hunt the plateau or I'm going (laughs) to go hunt one of these limited entry units. So you got to be paying close attention to what units allow over-the-counter second and third rifle seasons and archery. Now, muzzle loaders all draw, first rifle is all draw, and fourth rifle is all draw. Yep, and just on using filtering 2.0, I'm just as you're talking, looking at uh, over-the-counter archery tags, which filtering 2.0 lets you look at, and then you can actually yep. dive into harvest success and public land and all that. But there's 96 units. Okay. Uh, most of them, like you said, are on the west side of the state, but there are a handful, especially in the southern part, and some out on the plains yep. that are part of that over-the-counter elk option so 96 units to be able to and you can the nice thing about colorado is you can buy a a license there an over-the-counter elk license and you can jump from one unit to the next any of those over-the-counter whereas a state like idaho if you buy an over-the-counter tag you're locked in geographically within a zone and can only hunt a a certain geographic area yeah so that the other good part is the majority of the units that are over-the-counter are the ones with a high percentage of public land. We're talking yep. mostly forest service, some BLM, but a lot of forest service. Yep. So, If there's one downside about archery hunting in Colorado is they put the muzzleloader season right for, what is it, I think a week long or nine 14th, days, something yeah, like that. Yeah, the 14th through the 22nd this year. Yeah, right in the middle of the archery season. It's weird. Yeah, I, I've never hunted archery there, so I've never had to deal with uh, the situation where I'm out there archery hunting and call boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just changes. Uh, I, think, I mean, that's the, that's one of the beauties of archery hunting is you know once elk, especially during the rut, start hearing some gunshots going off, they become aware of the fact that they're not alone out there during the rut, and uh, you know you start getting it. And I think it's relatively i think in most units relatively minimal but yeah you you can be calling in an elk and all of a sudden boom right next <laughs> to you the muzzleloader goes off and yeah i think uh elk become a little bit wise to that yeah just know that that exists folks if you're going out there archery hunting 
that if you see some guy walking around with orange carrying a smoke pole, that's that's the deal. If there was one good thing about Colorado's muzzleloader is they're still pretty primitive in what their rules allow compared to some of the states where you can go out there with a 300-yard muzzleloader and start whacking away at them. But... So Colorado is, I think in most instances, known as the land of opportunity. They've got the largest elk herd in the, in the United States, depending on the year, varies from about 250,000 to 280,000 elk. That's a lot of elk. It is. And they mostly are in the western half of the state. So you think about what that means for elk densities. Every time I've hunted Colorado and I've hunted the over-the-counter seasons four times and then unlimited entry tag one time, finding elk is usually not the difficult part in Colorado. Now that I say that, the next time I go there, I won't find one. But I was going to say, what, what is the difficult part in Colorado? <clears throat> the difficult part in Colorado on the over-the-counter seasons is with that amount of pressure that they have, the elk often quickly <laughs> they they have quickly figured out where the sanctuary private land pieces are um a lot of times they're moved down lower to where that private land is and so you'll see a lot of elk standing out there in the field that kind of ah, ah, you can't shoot me <laughs> uh so there's that issue there there's also the issue of a lot of hunters in the in the field um but it's you know, there's still plenty of elk on the public. And I'd say most of the higher country in Colorado, there's not nearly the amount of private sanctuary. So the elk get moved around to different spots on the public. And by the time season's been open for a while, they're in these sanctuary areas. And Colorado has some mean, tough, nasty country, kind of like you guys do in Idaho. And so that's where those elk are going to be in the second and third rifle seasons. Those are that second rifle season happens in late October. That's right in the post rut period. It has the greatest amount of hunting pressure. A lot of non residents come and hunt the second rifle season because in their states back home, often in the Midwest, they're deer hunting in November, which is when Colorado's third rifle season happens. So you'll see way more pressure in the second rifle season than you do in the third rifle season on the -the over-the-counter hunts, which is why I hunt the third season over-the-counter. And a lot of people say, well, the bulls have all been shot or they've all been pressured or whatever. Yeah, they've they've definitely had more pressure by that time but there's a lot fewer people in the woods and to some degree my hunting the -the over-the-counter units in Colorado has kind of opened my eyes about how you can use hunting pressure a bit to your advantage and and use the the way the hunting pressure occurs use that as part of your strategy of where you're going to hunt on certain days or at certain times because you know you know where the pressure is going to be, so go to the places elk are going to retreat to in response to that hunting pressure. So, totally, it's just part of the drill. It's public land elk hunting. Yep, and I have hunted uh, over the counter in Colorado one time uh, for archery, and it was very similar. We were in a very hard to access area, and opening morning, or at least I don't, 
I think it was actually opening morning. It was early, August 26th or 27th, I believe, the year we hunted it. And uh, yeah, we hiked all the way back into this canyon, thought for sure we were alone, got on a, a huge herd of elk and very vocal elk for that early in the season. And about 10 o'clock in the morning, a couple hunters came hiking up the bottom of the canyon. Of course, the thermal's coming up and elk just started pouring out of that canyon and they went on to private land. And it took, <laughs> I think it was day six or seven before the elk even started filtering back off of the private into that public land area and definitely uh, changed our game plan for sure. Yeah. So do you guys have chronic wasting disease in Idaho? Not that we're yeah. aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Colorado is kind of the home, the core of the chronic wasting disease areas of the West, especially up in the north central part of the state. Um, so Colorado has some units where there's mandatory CWD testing. Uh, and then there's also voluntary testing where you can get your animal voluntarily tested. And I think the voluntary areas, it's they'll do it. It's a $25 fee to get it tested. Um, but I, I wouldn't want that to slow someone down from hunting. You know, if it's a worry, go get it tested and yep. proceed from there. Um, Idaho, you don't have blaze orange requirement like we do in Montana. Nope. But Colorado in the rifle seasons, uh, or firearm seasons, I should say, including, uh, muzzleloader, you need... Uh, hunter orange or now you can also do hunter pink uh, <laughs> and you need at least 500 square inches uh, in an that's outer that's pretty significant above the waist so that's pretty much a full jacket i mean you're not going to yeah. get 500 square inches on your head no so you also have to have an orange or pink hat also and wow. the, those, you know how you see some of those camo orange kind mm -hmm. of vests? Those don't qualify in Colorado. So, so. it has to be full solid color orange yeah. or pink. Yep. Interesting. Or pink now. So I'm reading directly from the regulations. A fluorescent orange or pink hat or head covering visible from all directions is also required. Hmm. So make sure you know that. If you're yeah, out there. I guess, you know, when you're going to a state that has more elk licenses sold than any other state in a season, it's, uh, that's how you ensure safety. Yeah. So I, uh, I just throw that out there because when I go to Colorado for these third season over-the-counter rifle tags, you see a variety of, of things. And one year I showed up down there. It was the very first time I'd ever hunted there, and I'm out scouting. And uh, the game warden, he stopped me. He's like, yeah, you know, da-da-da. And he saw that we, I actually had an orange vest on, even though I was scouting. He said, uh, you know, I hope you brought an orange hat. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, oh, in Colorado, you got to wear an orange hat. Ooh. So I ran down to the hardware store and bought an orange hat because I hadn't brought one with me. <laughs> but uh, so you, you just, there. Well, the reason I bring this up is we haven't really touched on it on some of the other states because until now, we really haven't got to a state that's got a lot of regulations like Colorado does. So we really, you know, like when we talked about New Mexico and Arizona, there's not even an orange requirement 
uh, Wyoming, it's an orange hat or an orange vest. Um, but Colorado's got quite a few specific regulations that might be different than the state you're traveling from. So just make sure you read the regulations, whether you, and even on Go Hunt, they say download the regulations and read them. And I've got them here in front of me and it's a, the hunting laws part, which are the most common violations, I think is what they're most worried about, is about five or six pages here, page 13 through 16 or 17, something like that, kind of telling you don't get in trouble yep but come here and have a good time yeah so no and i I, think it's important you know i when we start talking about some of these states that have limited entry hunts like that i think my my uh overall attitude towards them is sometimes negative when we when we talk about those limited draws and the point system and everything but with that being said Colorado is a is a phenomenal state because it provides so much opportunity, the more opportunity than any other state for elk. Yeah. And it's also the closest state for anyone coming from the Midwest or back east. It's the first elk state that they bump into. And so it's it's definitely an elk hunting destination. And you know, like like you said in the beginning, Randy, you can go to just about any unit in that state and you're gonna be into elk. Yeah. And there's just so many elk. <laughs> if the you can't find is, elk in Colorado, you need to come home and study some more. Yeah. And, and and I get that a lot. And I'm sure you do too. People that spend eight days or 10 days hunting in Colorado in the third season rifle or in the, you know, over the counter archery and they don't hear a bugle or they don't see an elk. And, and that's elk hunting. You're going to run into that anywhere unless you draw unit nine Arizona tag. And then if you go there and don't find an elk, uh, well, I won't, yeah, I, I won't say what I was going to say, but, uh, you know, that, that's elk hunting and you're going to run into that. And there's a lot more to elk hunting than just getting a tag. But, uh, yeah. for the, for the sake of this discussion, we are talking about how to obtain a tag and, and Colorado is probably the most liberal state for obtaining a tag, whether it's a, uh, limited draw on a you know lower point zero to two or three points there are multiple units where you can and then it does limit how many people are there uh or just an over-the-counter which it's very liberal on where you can hunt with an over-the-counter tag yeah well but when we get done with every state and we start going into the ideas about what you can do if you didn't draw one of the limited entry tags the number one state we're going to focus on and we'll get into more detail will be these over-the-counter Colorado tags that we're talking about. Yep. So. Yeah, because realistically, I mean, if you don't draw a limited tag in any of the states, your options are, are going to be limited on where you can get over-the-counter tags. Yeah. And it's limited basically to what Colorado, Idaho, Oregon, I'll throw Washington in for the sake of discussion, but... I yeah. don't think it's even worth discussing. Yeah. And I Utah, get messages Utah all the time. Yeah, in Utah. Counter, but it, again, it's a, yeah, everyone, I've not hunted the over-the-counter hunts in Utah, but everybody from Utah who does, they tell me, if you think Colorado's crowded, you should come to Utah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, ooh, wow. Not only that, but the season is, well, August 16th through September 14th or something, so you don't even get to hunt the good part of the rut in yeah. Utah with the with the archery tags so yeah the other thing is you can actually get 
two licenses in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, they talk about, uh, and in the regulations on page 33, it says how to get more than one elk license. Get one license off list A, get up to two by using list B, and get any number using list C. <laughs> and it goes in there and talks about what is a, a list A tag, what's a list B tag, and what's a list C tag. So I have went there before and had an over-the-counter bull tag in my pocket, and I had a cow tag in my pocket. So I could have shot two elk. Yeah. Could have shot. I'm guessing there's a story there. There's a story there that I <laughs> shot a bull and said, you know what? I need a third or, or a second elk. Like I don't really need it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that year I'd already had a very successful season. So I thought, well. But that is an option that, you know, being able to have two tags in your pocket and be able to shoot uh, a bull and or a cow, that's, mm -hmm. uh, it can be pretty appealing. Yeah, I mean, if you've driven out from to whatever state, Pennsylvania or somewhere in the Midwest, and you have a cow tag in your pocket, and then you buy the over-the-counter tag, now you're in business if you bump into some elk in the woods. In most places, you, a bull has to be four-point or better, uh, which is uh, a brow-tine bull, they call it. And they say, and I'm reading from the definition, a brow tine means a projection of the antler at least five inches long located on the lower half of the antler. So in most instances, that's going to be at least a four-point bull or better. Um, so the only thing, if you had that cow tag and that branch antler tag in your pocket, about the only thing that you can't shoot would be a spike. Yeah. So... Odds are you're going to come home with some elk meat in that situation. <laughs> you make it sound easy, Randy. <clears throat> well, I, I'm i trying to remember if I've ever been to Colorado where I couldn't come home with at least a cow elk. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember when that didn't happen. But now that I say that, next time I show up there with a cow elk tag in my pocket, I won't see it. A single elk. And people will be like, yeah, sure. You're full of crap. But I love Colorado. One thing I really like about Colorado is when you show up in these West Slope towns and in name any of the little towns out there, Rangeley and Meeker and Craig and... You know, Paonia and Crested Butte and Gunnis and all that. You show up and every gas station, every restaurant, the hardware stores, they all have these signs, welcome hunters, welcome hunters. And you go to the restaurant after you get done hunting and everybody in there is hunting. And so it's, it's really a friendly, accommodating, welcoming place yep. if you love to hunt. You're not going to feel even remotely out of place. So, yep, absolutely. I, no, I mean, there's lots of good reasons why to hunt elk in Colorado. Yep. And there's a lot of people that do. Yeah, that's, that's good. I hope people keep hunting Colorado. I hope Colorado always has this over-the-counter option, but I, you know, I hear Colorado residents say, you know, some year we're going to have to put more of these units on a limited entry draw. 
And I'm not sure if they're saying that because of impact on the resource or just the crowding or what, but you hear a lot of folks calling for an end to the -the over-the-counter hunting. But for right now, take advantage of it because it's there. Totally. No, and I hope it never goes away because Colorado and Idaho are kind of the last two strongholds of quality over-the-counter hunting. If those two states went away and went to a a full limited, even if it was like Montana where they offer 17,000 elk combo or big game combo licenses. So, I mean, there's plenty of opportunity still, but with zero points, you're only 50% guaranteed. So, I mean, you're your opportunities, if you don't draw that, and with zero points in Montana, it's a 50-50 shot. Yeah. You really only have two places where you can go, and I think it's important. And, and obviously, you and I are huge advocates for going hunting every year. And Colorado and Idaho are kind of those two holdouts that allow you that option to go hunting every year. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think what we could do to convince people not to go into Corey's area and scare all the elk out. And we can send them to all the areas around my area, and they'll scare all the elk into my area. (laughs) So No, that's that's one of the beauties of Colorado and Idaho, and, and, you know, Colorado especially because it is, I think, geographically so big, and, and there's elk in so many places and so many elk that... Even with the high number of hunters, you can still find areas to get into elk and you're probably going to see people, you know, at least at a trailhead or something, mm-hmm. but you're going to have pockets to yourself where you can hunt elk and, and uh, still have a good hunt. Yeah. Well, we, we know that the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is one of the great groups that help promote and, and make our podcast possible. I just Googled Colorado Elk Access RMEF. And what comes up right away is Colorado has a program called the Colorado Wildlife Habitat Program, which is that habitat stamp that we all pay for. Uh, RMEF and CPW, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, in this one, that I'm reading about here, there was a landowner who said, you know, I want to protect my property. I want to enter into an easement and that easement will allow hunting access because a lot of times easements, they they don't necessarily allow hunting access. Uh, But in this one, uh, they protected 2,600, almost 2,700 acres of private land that gets you to huge amounts of BLM land. And uh, it's, uh, what's the name of this one? Do they have a name to it? Because uh, usually they put a name on every project. This one, they haven't. Uh, the landowner, it's called, they just, oh, it's called the Louisiana Purchase Ranch is the name of it. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> name to a ranch. Uh, but anyhow, through RMEF and Colorado Parks and Wildlife, that's an example of your RMEF money at work. It's an example of your habitat stamp money at work that is providing access for places that we can go and hunt. Yep. When you look at, you know, I just jumped on on X Maps and they have the RMEF layer 
oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so I went into the state of Colorado and you know, you can turn on all those different layers, but when you turn on the RMEF layer, uh, there's multiple pins in Colorado of projects that they've done to either enhance or protect uh, access and lands. And Yeah. So uh, point is, your money's being used for our benefit. If, if you are like Corey and I and realize that it does no good to have elk hunters if they don't have a place to hunt, well... Here's some groups doing something about it. And I know a lot of people complain, oh, why do I got to pay an extra $10 or $5 or a dollar or whatever it might be? Well, that $10 habitat stamp fee, that's an example of what it gets used for. Yep. So what else we got to do to convince the world to go to Colorado? You know, I don't know that there's a whole lot we can do to convince more people to go, but it's, uh, <laughs> if you're looking for a destination to go for your first elk hunt, I think Colorado's probably got to be at the top of your list. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there's, if you're going to go anyway, I would say apply. You know, apply for either one of those, was it second season is over-the-counter, right? Third season's yep. over-the-counter. So apply yep. for a first or a fourth season rifle tag or a limited archery tag or a muzzleloader tag. And if you don't draw, you still have the option to, to go there and show up and purchase a tag and go and hunt. So Colorado is one of those states that really caters to opportunity and thankfully so. And, you know, we look at it and it's like, yeah, there's, there's more hunting pressure. The elk in the over-the-counter units might not be the trophy potential that you're going to find, you know, across the corner in New Mexico or Arizona. But when it comes to opportunity and you getting to experience elk country for the first time, uh, Colorado is the, it's, it's just epic elk country. The landscape there, the Rocky Mountains run right down through the center of the state and you can hunt from, you know, 8,000 to 14,000 feet and be into elk and yeah. and just enjoy that and, and get to experience it. And then, you know, with a couple of years of experience, if you want to branch out into another state, there are. But I think for a beginner, Colorado is a perfect place to, to go and experience elk hunting. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about when we started this whole idea of hunt elk every year is that you need to be building your elk hunting knowledge so that some year, if you luck out and you draw that premium tag in some state, you have a, a vault of knowledge to work from, to, to fall back on. And Colorado is a great place to build your elk hunting knowledge. And the people who consistently take elk on those over-the-counter tags in Colorado, they've got something figured out. They've become students of the elk hunting game. And when you hunt over the counter in Colorado and then you draw that great New Mexico tag or Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, whatever, then when you go to one of those other states with a, a glory tag in your pocket, you're going to be way better off and you're going to have a lot more success on that really high quality tag that you've been waiting on for years because you've been going to school. You've, you've been learning and, and trying and failing and trying and failing and hopefully having some success. 
But everything that you learn in Colorado, because of the hunting pressure, because of how varied the landscape is, how the, uh, there's so many things. I, I think Colorado provides the classic classroom to build your elk hunting knowledge. And that's another, to me, that's another reason why people should be out there if they didn't draw one of their limited entry tags, go out there and just continue to learn. They look at it as an investment in your elk hunting knowledge. Absolutely. And success rates might be lower in Colorado than most other states. And and I think it just, anytime you mix opportunity, you're going to see success rates come down a little bit. But when you're realistic about it, uh, you know, on your first elk hunt, maybe maybe success isn't the ultimate goal. But I, I also don't want to say that, you know, somebody going on their first elk hunt shouldn't be and couldn't be successful because every year they are. And I think that if you do your, your legwork and your homework and your research, uh, there's no reason why you can't expect to be successful. And, and hopefully with what Randy and I are trying to do, you know, right now we're talking about obtaining tags, but as we get through this, we're going to be able to jump into, you know, e-scouting and some other tactics that hopefully are going to contribute to that success on these over-the-counter public land, you know, on your own type elk hunts. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the beauty of a place like Colorado where you can hunt every year if if you want to by the over-the-counter feature. I'll use my brother as an example. My brother lives in northern Minnesota. He goes out for the second rifle season, maybe not every year, maybe every other year. So he, the first time he went was with me and people who saw the episode on our show, a nice bull steps out and he shot an aspen tree right in front. <laughs> <laughs> he almost had to try to hit that tree, but really he's trying to thread it through a narrow gap and just graze this aspen tree. Well, he goes home two years later. He says, all right, I'm going to come back and give it a whirl. Him and my brother-in-law and some friends go. And he has a few close encounters, but he doesn't get a shot. Two years later, he comes out. Now he's learning how the elk, in, in his two previous years, he's got a pretty good feel for what the elk are doing and where they're at and how they're going. Now he comes out with him and his oldest daughter. They see a bull, but she's not comfortable with the shot, so she doesn't shoot it. He ends up shooting a cow elk on that trip. He comes out two years later with his second daughter. She shoots a bull opening morning. And my point is, my brother, ha even though he doesn't have tons of elk hunting experience, because he can come every year or every other year, he has learned this mountain. He now knows, all right, here's how the elk respond to the hunting pressure. In every year, he's having more success and more success and more success. And that's also one of the benefits of being able to go to a place predictably every year, or however frequently it fits your calendar, is it's not like you're showing up in a new spot you've never been to. Hey, I've, I've hunted here the previous three years. Over time, you start getting it dialed in and your success rates are going to be a lot higher. Absolutely. And, and my brother doesn't listen to this podcast, but I would say if Jason <laughs> Newberg can shoot an elk, anyone can shoot an elk. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, anytime I give him grief on a podcast, he hears about it because he runs, he's got a crew that works for him in his logging business. And when they're running equipment, they're listening to hunting podcasts. So at the lunch break, they'll say, hey, Jason, you want to know what your brother said about you today? <laughs> 
Uh, so there, I just made fun of him. He'll, he'll put me in the headlock next time he sees me for <laughs> making fun of him. But no, the, the reality though, I, I bring up that example because he's doing this in Colorado. He doesn't live in elk country, but I would bet if he went, if he goes this year, is one of the people he or one of his daughters, they're going to fill an elk tag. I have yeah. no doubt about it because now they've put their time in. They've learned about what the elk are doing at that time of year in that part of the state. And it's taken him three or four trips, but that's that's an investment in his elk hunting knowledge that now he's he's kind of the steepness of the learning curve has flattened out and now it's about killing elk. And that's, I mean, that's really what it takes. And that's how it is, I think, with anything elk hunting or, or otherwise. It takes work. It takes persistence. And, you know, I, I think that's the message that I always try to send is nobody is excluded from success when it comes from elk hunting. And you hear the people that say, I just, you know, I'm just not going to be, I'm not cut out to be successful or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's not a talent. It just takes hard work and a little bit of work and research and I uh, I love hearing those stories of people that put in the time and the persistence, especially the ones that struggle and go 10 years without filling an elk tag. And uh, once they get it, it seems like it just starts to come a little more frequently. And, and uh, sometimes it takes a little longer for some, but uh, success is, it's all about work and putting in the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to make you a deal, Corey. Okay. You... Some year you burn your 15 deer points. Yeah. And I want to come with, and hopefully it's in a unit that has over-the-counter elk. I'll move all the elk debris out of the way so you can shoot a big buck. You know, you tell me uh, what unit is the best unit for deer, and I am game for that. All right. I've been very lucky in drawing deer tags in Colorado. Well, I, I don't want to two-point deer tag i want one of those ones that i can spend my 15 points on and yeah and there there'll be a 200 inch buck around behind every, corner. every tree yep all right <laughs> uh, uh, i don't want to let the cat out of the bag here on something as public as a podcast but uh but you've got the place i've got it Excellent. trust me I'll call my buddy Brady miller down i go hunt he shoots 200 inch bucks on units that require zero points yeah uh, well, that's, that's another discussion for another podcast. <laughs> no, I have, uh, you know, I, there are a few states where I'm, you know, it's, it's just part of the strategy like we talked about. And yeah. even for elk, you know, I've got 11 points in Arizona. I've got 15 in Colorado. I've, you know, I'm getting back up there in Oregon. I'm building points in Nevada. Oregon and Nevada are kind of mid-range right now. Uh, Colorado and Arizona are long-term and, you know, Montana, I'm getting up. I've got five bonus points in Montana. But you know what's really sad is I don't have any preference points in Montana. And I've been, what? yeah, I don't know what's happened there, but yeah. well, I went to a, they apply. They didn't do you any good until about two years ago. I know. But was, you would have thought last year, I would have thought ahead about, hey, I want to hunt with Randy next year. I'm going to buy a preference point, so I'm guaranteed. And yeah, I didn't. So now you've got, what, a 50% chance that you and Donnie are going to be able to come to Montana? Yep. Huh. You know who's coming with us? Who? Uh, 12 Llamas, my buddy Bo Beatty, and Matt Saddle from uh, Onyx Maps. That will be awesome. 
I'm yeah. most excited about the 12 llamas. No offense to Bo or Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Bo. He's like, yeah, I'll be there. How many llamas are we bringing? I'm like, I don't know. How many is it going to take? He said, I don't know. We'll just bring as many as we can fit in the trailers. <laughs> Excellent. So they'll be able to pack my rifle and everything for me, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, if, if, if you want. So, I mean, it just costs you a little more. Bring Corey's own individual llama to carry his Twinkies and his his rifle and <laughs> Twinkies and Pop Tarts and a rifle. That's a, yeah. I mean, that's rifle so. hunting. I've only I've only rifle elk hunted personally one time. Wow! Since, I mean, growing up, you know, obviously it was over the counter, and we'd take the rifles out. But honestly, I usually hunted with my bow during the rifle season in Idaho growing up, and I've only ever shot one elk with a rifle in my life. Hmm. Well, that'll probably, <laughs> you're probably in no danger of breaking that record coming to Montana with me. <laughs> <laughs> that streak will, will be maintained, is Stay that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, now, if we don't draw, we'll, uh, we'll have to come up with a backup plan and do something over the counter in Idaho or something. Cool. Well, we want to make sure nobody misses the deadline. Whatever you do, folks, don't miss the April 2nd deadline. Colorado's yep. not one of those states where they let you buy points later in the year. Yeah, and it's 8 p.m. Colorado time, so Mountain Standard Time, 8 p.m. April 2nd. Yes, whatever day April 2nd falls on. I don't know what. I don't have a calendar in front I've of me. I've got a calendar right here, so it is a Tuesday. A Tuesday, huh? First, first Tuesday in April. Yeah, and usually the elk draw results are out sometime in late May. I, yep. I know they usually say, oh, the results will be out June 3rd or something like that. Usually they have them out a little bit before then, but not soon enough that you can apply in any other state besides Idaho because you folks in Idaho, for whatever reason, have your application date of June 5th, I think. June 5th so, is the deadline, yeah. Yeah. So that's about your only limited entry fallback option if you don't draw in Colorado is to look at Idaho. Which at that point, honestly, you're probably realistically looking at over-the-counter. I mean, yeah, obviously Idaho is still open, but you need to start, if you're wanting to hunt elk this year and you don't draw anything in Colorado, you need to really start honing in your over-the-counter options. And Yeah, and at that time I would tell people, Think about the possibility of hunting over the counter in Idaho. And since you've already bought the license and the tag for the over the counter hunt, may as well apply yeah. in Idaho. But we can cover all that when we do the the Idaho. Yeah, we've got Oregon coming up with a May 15th application deadline and Idaho with a June 5th application deadline. So yeah. stay tuned. Because we already those. covered Utah and Nevada in the same video or right. podcast episode and uh they changed their application deadline in nevada this year to april 29th yep. it usually was around april 15th they've extended it a couple weeks this year so yep but we already covered all that yeah so Go we've back. got a couple more of these application strategy podcasts that we're going to be publishing here in the next few weeks and uh, i think next don't we have uh, our next podcast is going to be uh, one with my good buddy tyler crockett talking about mm -hmm. shed hunting and rodeos and yep all sorts all of that kind stuff. of stuff have you guys been out chasing wolves we have 
And I saw on one of your Instagram posts, they were howling or something like that. So no, no. we've, uh, I've just come to realize I'm not a good hunter. I'm, I like hunting, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am uh, squandering opportunities. Wolf hunting is, <laughs> is tough. And, you know, uh. we went into it last year. We hunted eight days. We shot a wolf on day seven, I think. And uh, this year we were just, we were certain we were going to be a lot better wolf hunters. But the problem this year is there's so much snow that all the elk have moved out and the, mm. the elk are not in their normal wintering areas, which means the wolves are not in their normal wintering areas. Right. So day three, we went to a, a new area where we knew the elk and the deer wintered and we heard wolves howling from the second we hit the trailhead. Wow. And Tyler, you know, we're, we just, the way we hunt is we take our kids to school in the morning and then we go out and hunt, but we have to be back to, to pick the kids up from school. And it's a two and a half hour drive to this new area one way. Oh, So we uh, dropped the kids off. We drove, we got out, we had two hours to hunt. We, we literally ran through two feet of snow to get up the mountain where the wolves were. Got up there and we had 30 minutes before we had to turn around and hike back out. And within three minutes, we had three wolves standing on the hillside across from us. Ooh. Within rifle range. Oh. And I'm sitting there with my fancy new rifle that's dialed in to long range specifically for wolf hunting. Uh-huh. And I realized I didn't have my phone with me. So you didn't have your dope. I didn't have my dope, as they say, my, my ballistics chart. And uh, I've oh, never, never relied on ballistics charts before, but at <laughs> 719 yards, these three wolves that are just standing on the open hillside begging to be shot... I have no way of shooting them. So I motioned for Tyler to come down and he comes down and just in the process of coming down and hiking through crunchy snow and getting everything set up, the wolves had made it across the open hillside and into the timber before he got crosshairs on them. So we had to turn around and hike out as they're howling like crazy 800 yards away and uh, went back the next day and put in a big hunt, finally located them. They were a mile away howling and uh, we ended up calling them in to about 250 yards and made a bonehead impatient mistake which is par for my course i just can't sit and wait and i don't hear anything and i get excited and anyway we we made some predator calls and i think the wolves were standing there looking at us at 250 yards and it spooked them and they ran and they ran across an open hillside at 350 yards but we didn't have a shot yeah so uh -huh. We, uh, we had to restructure you and I getting together and doing the podcast to be able to make it out and chase them again. But we're heading out again tomorrow and again the day after that, hoping mm. to put the mistakes behind us and the wolves in front of us. So what's the moral of the story there about leaving your dope at home? And I kind of, that's terrible. Someone just dropped in on the podcast. They're like, Corey and Randy are talking about leaving their dope at home. Well, or this talk, is the, this is the podcast about Colorado. So no, <laughs> oh, we're talking about when we say the dope, we're talking about your ballistics chart. That's the slang term for ballistics charts. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I got so that, many that, messages and comments in on Instagram because I laid it out there and said, hey, guys, I messed up and here's what happened. I didn't bring my ballistics chart with me. I didn't have it. And I now have it printed off, laminated. There's one in my pack. There's one in, taped onto the stock of my rifle. And I have my app on my phone. phone so yeah. next time I go, I should be 
good. And I, I can shoot out to 1,241 yards really? according to my ballistics chart. So huh. it's a, <laughs> I can't see that far. I so. was going to say I've shot out successfully to about 800 yards. And huh. uh, cool. that's, again, I'm not, a long, I'm not even a rifle hunter, so I'm not going to profess to be a long range hunter. But when it comes to wolf hunting, uh, I think the, the more the opportunities time. you have, you, you definitely need to extend that range a little bit. Yeah. Well, if when we meet up again, you haven't shot a wolf, uh, I'm trying to think what the punitive damages will be. Um, <laughs> I, I think the audience can hold something against you for failing to do your conservation duty. And honestly, that's uh, that's what motivated me was just seeing the carnage that they did on the elk last year. This year, it's we're in an area where the mule deer are really concentrated, and we found three dead mule deer within about 300 yards that the wolves had killed and were eating uh -huh. on them. So uh, th there's definitely a you know, I'm not out there just for blood on wolves, yeah. but uh, this this pack has been trapped fairly hard. There's only three in this pack, but they have also geographically intermingled with another pack because of the winter range. Mm. And uh, if we can take care of this one pack and do some damage on the other one, it's no doubt going to help the deer and elk for the next 12 months. Yeah. Well, the other part is uh, I've got three wolf tags in my pocket. And right now my crew is out wolf hunting and ice fishing. And I'm stuck in an office in Bozeman, Montana, disinheriting the federal treasury and doing tax returns and podcasts. <laughs> and dealing with a sinus infection nonetheless. Yeah. yeah, right now, the way I feel today, I would really not care to be hiking, chasing wolves. I'd, I'd be sucking. I'd be back at the truck sniveling so well truth is yeah. you're letting the camera guys go and scout and find the wolves and once they find <laughs> them and locate them you'll, uh, you'll be able to go out there and help them yeah well yesterday i got an update that they caught a bunch of fish i didn't hear any update on wolves <laughs> so i i'm assuming that the fishing was good and they looked around and said you know that's a lot easier than chasing wolves up and down these big timbered mountains let's just stay here and fish it's probably what they did but yeah. our wolf season closes i believe march 15th so the the end of this week is, yeah and ours is, is march 31st so we're coming that, down to the wire as well okay. i did see proposals from idaho fishing game uh that they're looking at extending the wolf season in most of the units and it won't be this year but by next year do you suppose that we're going to have to do a podcast on wolf hunting we won't have to, but it would sure be fun. <laughs> uh, I think we should. Just yeah. Because I think if you hunt elk in Montana, Idaho, or Wyoming, where there are wolf seasons, uh, in some places in Wyoming, you don't even need a wolf tag in your pocket, but in Montana and Idaho, you do. I think you should have a wolf tag in your pocket just for the opportunity that might pop up when you're out there. Well, and, and further, and we can definitely go into a lot more detail. I don't want to hijack the Colorado podcast here, but I, I feel as hunters, we have a responsibility to, yeah. you know, I, I think that's, that's the purpose of hunting is management. We manage wildlife. And I think hunters are the most effective tool for wildlife management. And it's not just about shooting deer and elk. Uh, it's, you know, we've got to manage predators too. And where we have, we've been blessed with the opportunity to manage wolves 
through hunting in these states, which it was a long, hard-fought battle by a lot of conservation organizations to be able to get us to that point. Yeah. Uh, now to sit by and not actively take part in that, but to complain about the the effects and the devastation that the predators are having, I think it's a little hypocritical. And I think as hunters, we need to be doing our part and uh, helping out the, the deer and the elk. Yeah, well, that's you touched on a good point there, Corey. The number of people who are down at the coffee shop complaining about the effect wolves are having, and you ask them, well, have you been out hunting them? Oh, no. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. Uh, this is what we fought so hard to get, is the opportunity to be involved in the management. And now that we can be involved in the management, you get more pleasure out of sitting at the coffee shop than going out and doing it. And, yep. uh, and that's, I'll tell you right now, I've hunted quite a few animals. Mm-hmm. Wolves, I would say, are the greatest challenge for oh, a hunter. Hands down. And and I'm hunting them with a rifle right now. I will hunt them with a bow, but I'm hunting them with a rifle right now. And even with a rifle, we've seen them twice. Two of the four days we've been hunting, we have seen wolves within effective rifle range. Hmm. And I think that's, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that, but I'm also realizing how much of a squandered opportunity that is because those opportunities don't come as often as, as we would like. Yeah. In my track record, it's a 10 to 12 days of hunting for every wolf encounter. And I don't know if that speaks to how bad of a wolf hunter I am or just how hard it is because the densities are, are not like the densities of elk and deer. No, They're not as visible. There, there's fewer of them. They're, they have these paths, at least here in Montana. A lot of these packs are just kind of making these big routes and they're checking on these herds of wintering deer and elk and antelope. And it, it, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to show up and today they're going to come out at 8 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> they, they will come out at 8 o'clock in the morning, but it might be 15 miles away. And... <laughs> yeah. And these loops they make, at least here in Montana, are 20, 30-mile loops. And they're making those over a course of four to five days. Yeah. And so are you going to be there that period of time where their loop takes them to the spot you happen to be at? And I I love hunting them. Uh I buy three wolf tags every year just to have them in my pocket. And unfortunately, this year, the only wolf hunting I really got to do was incidental to my elk hunting here in Montana, just yep. because of my calendar and schedule. But yeah. uh, really what I need to do is bring you as my guest on a wolf hunt in Montana. The only time I have ever had wolf encounters in Montana is when I have a guest with me. I'm not saying every time I have a guest, but the three times we've had shots, I've had a guest, and so I've never taken the shot. <laughs> well, well, why don't I bring you as a guest to Idaho now that we have uh, we have them fairly dialed in and at least know where we can go and get into wolves. And that is the this time of year, incidentally, during elk season, absolutely have a wolf tag in your pocket because... Uh, you hear them howling, I think, more often in the fall. Wintertime, it's, it's just until the last two times we've been out, we haven't had a lot of success getting them to howl even when we've been on them. Hmm. They've been very vocal the last two times. In fact, it was it was very uh, reminiscent of elk hunting. We called these wolves in by howling at them 
and they don't like another pack of wolves. So they're very territorial. Very they territorial. came in from a mile away into 300 yards in a matter of minutes and were very aggressive. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. But the yeah. thing I didn't do was I didn't treat it like setting up for an elk. And I realized that the setup is just as critical as the calling. And we set up in an area that had we moved up the ridge 200 yards, we would have had a shot you know, for 500 yards as they came in. Instead, we limited ourselves to 250 yards. The wolves weren't comfortable coming in that close, not seeing something. And they stood back on the backside of the ridge and just waited. And uh, we made a, a wrong move at the wrong time and it cost us, but... Yeah, well, I think doing a wolf podcast would be fun. We could yeah. uh, talk about conservation and and uh, yeah, we talk, talk about, about the history of how we ended up getting wolf seasons and yeah, we, and, we can talk about the craziness of people thinking they should introduce gray wolves into Colorado. Uh, you a, took the words right out of my mouth. What yeah, a train wrecked. wreck that would be! I this is really interesting. And since we're on Colorado, on uh, uh, my other podcast, I had a. A guest, Jim Heffelfinger from Arizona Game and Fish. And Jim is the agency lead. He represents their department on the Mexican wolf recovery. And the Mexican wolves are truly a smaller subspecies of wolf. Uh, everyone accepts that they are not gray wolves. He says that if Colorado introduces gray wolves to Colorado, the, the way they disperse and roam. He said they will be in eastern, eastern Arizona and western New Mexico in short order. And he said it'll be a genetic uh, purge, he called it, that those larger wolves will be there. They'll dominate all the breeding. And he said our efforts to recover and manage a threatened and endangered subspecies of the Mexican wolves, he said we may as well just fold up our tent and go home. Yep. If, if Colorado introduces gray wolves, because those gray wolves will be here and our smaller Mexican wolves don't have a prayer. Totally. You look at coyote. I mean, wolves are a very territorial, territorial animal. Yeah. And the, there's been studies in Idaho of wolves going in. They collared the, uh, I think it was University of Idaho, collared a bunch of bears in their dens during the winter to do research on, you know, the cubs, on on denning, on all these hibernation things with bears and a very high percentage. I don't want to throw numbers out because I don't have the numbers, but it was over 50% of the bears that were collared were killed in their dens by wolves during the winter. Wow. And wolves will not tolerate coyotes. Oh, no. Uh, no canines. Don't. <laughs> so, yeah, you get, a, you get a Mexican gray wolf that's not much bigger than a coyote and wolves move in there. They will kill them all yeah. off and dominate breeding and and they'll not to mention the devastation they'll have on elk in Colorado and this is not a couple of guys you know crying wolf here this no. it, literal they will devastate elk herds and it will take a while for those populations to balance back out and those numbers of 250 to 280,000 elk i would say realistically will probably be cut in half as the wolf numbers increase in Colorado and you want to talk about opportunity loss for over-the-counter elk hunting. Uh, yeah. You just let, let them do that in Colorado, and we'll uh, see how that plays out. Yeah. Well, darn, we, we, got, uh, we got a pretty good outline here for a wolf podcast. That's right. <laughs> I, I don't know how many of our listeners would want us to go into wolves. But I think we can. I'm mix fascinated it in. by wolves. I grew yeah. up with wolves. Where I grew up in northern Minnesota, they never disappeared. So I had wolves in you know in my neighborhood all my life. They they're a very fascinating animal 
you you come to respect them definitely when you hunt them and trap them but you also realize that as much as some want to say oh they're just you know the, the nature has this lovely balance and the wolf asks permission to kill the elk before he kills it and he kills it <laughs> in such a nice humane way you realize that it's it's just a raw brutal world and i don't hate the wolf i mean the wolf is doing what a wolf does he's hunting elk to eat so it's it's not his fault but when you interject the politics to it and you have this fantasy that somehow our society does doesn't have a responsibility to manage all species that you only are going to manage the prey species and let the other species go unmanaged you quickly realize when you spend time with wolves that without management, hunting, trapping, whatever it is, removal by wildlife services, uh, wolves have a significant impact. Uh, You're just talking about bears. You talk to any houndsman and they will tell you that the number of lion kills that lions give up because wolves come and take the kill from the lion is significant and so the lion ends up killing more deer and more deer because the wolves are stealing what the lion's killing and one lion isn't going to stand there and take the risks and expose himself to the dangers of fighting off eight wolves he's just going to say have it and he moves on because he's such an efficient predator so there's this whole chain of other (laughs) other events that go on when you introduce uh wolves to the landscape and uh, people want to discount all those other events. And I think the more people know about that, the better. Totally. Now let's, yeah, let's, I think it'd be a a great topic and we can go into, like you mentioned, the history, the the responsibilities, the conservation side, but also we can talk about how the, the wolves affect elk during hunting season and how we have to adapt elk hunting tactics sometimes to hunt in those areas that you and I are very familiar with that have a high population and density of wolves and what to do to overcome their effects on elk during season. Well, your mission, Corey, is to go and shoot an elk. So when we do, or shoot a wolf. (laughs) So when we do that podcast, you have a great story to tell about how it happened and you'll be the wolf hunting expert who we can convince all these elk hunters to go out and wolf hunt. Mission accepted. All right. <laughs> Give me a week. Give me a week. I'll report back. Uh, well, have we kept them long enough? Or I oh, think one, one other thing. Yeah. We've been getting a ton of comments. So, uh, and those comments are coming from our website, elktalkpodcast.com. And I have a Wyoming elk tag this year. Uh, thanks to the go hunt, I realized that there was a certain place where the draw odds as your second choice, therefore I didn't have to give up my opportunity to build the point, uh, were a hundred percent in the special draw. And the beauty of that tag is it converts to a cow tag later in the season. And the number of comments we are getting about cow elk hunting yeah. is incredible. So, I think my Wyoming tag this year, unless some lucky circumstance that a great big bull walks out, (laughs) I'm going to use it for a cow elk. And 
I'm going to do a bunch of video on it, but I definitely see that we're, we've got a lot of demand for doing a cow elk podcast also. Absolutely. Especially as we're talking about a state like Colorado, where there is so much opportunity for antlerless hunting. Uh, you know, the strategy, I think it would be, uh, there's definitely strategies that I think both you and I can talk about that uh, hopefully will be helpful to somebody wanting to fill their freezer with a cow elk. Yeah. And so. why wouldn't you want to fill your freezer with a cow elk? Man. Let me see. I can go down to the grocery store and buy a bunch of beef or pork or chicken, or I can go shoot a cow elk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Another I, I wonder, I can't imagine if we could do a poll on a podcast. Uh, I suspect I know what those poll results would be with our audience. Yep. I think totally. the cow elk would, would carry the day. I yeah. hope so. So if you want to hear a podcast on cow elk hunting, just go to elktalkpodcast.com and click on the link to contact us and send us a quick email and just let us know, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, or if you want to hear about wolf hunting, because Corey's going to be the world's expert in short <laughs> order. Uh, and I'm trying to think what else we got. Oh, our Instagram. We need everyone to follow us on Instagram too, right? What's that? Yeah, Elk Talk podcast on Instagram. We've, uh, I don't remember how many, we've got a lot of members or a lot of followers on Instagram though. Yeah. Oh, it's, no, uh, wonder, no wonder we get so many comments. It's certainly not because of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm why we get all the hate mail. So oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Most of the people that have emailed, I've seen the emails when they come through. Yeah, we've got uh, almost 15,000 followers on Elk Talk podcast Whoa. On, on our Instagram page. So All right. Be cool. sure and uh, follow us there. And Randy, you were talking your other podcast. We'll uh, give a plug for that Hunt Talk podcast. And mm -hmm. uh, what episode was that you were talking about that you talked with the Arizona guy on wolves? Yeah, uh, that podcast is called Hunt Talk Radio. You can find it in all the same places of the Elk Talk podcast. And I'm trying to remember what episode number it is. It's the recent one we just released. It would be episode 103, 4, or 5. And the guy's name is Jim Heffelfinger. And the whole podcast is about Endangered Species Act. Uh, how do you manage large predators on landscapes? when you have the litigious environment we currently operate from, what's the impact of the bigger picture of conservation when you're when the courts are continually moving the goal line. So we in these states out here, we say, all right, yeah, we'll do this. Well, we do that, and then the court moves the goal line. Okay, we'll do this. All right. We keep meeting the next place where they've moved the goal line to, and then they move it again. And... We also go into talking about the fact that in most instances, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is on our side. They're the ones getting sued. They, they say there's enough wolves. The state should manage them. There's enough grizzly bears. The state should manage them. And I hear so many people mad at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Well, very often they're the group who's on our side saying, get these out of our hair. There's too many of them. Give them get, get the state in here to manage this stuff but they get sued in court. And so it gets thrown back on their lap and their biologists and scientists, they're just shaking their head saying, how do we get out of this spiral? So uh, it, it was a really fun podcast because Jim has been involved in the Arizona uh, Mexican wolf 
for years and years and years. And the guy is just absolute genius. Uh, so it was a fun podcast. We maybe at some point in time we have him on this podcast. He's yeah. he's a really great guest, prolific writer, highly respected in the the science community, and uh, he knows this stuff. He's he's got it dialed in. Very cool. So awesome. Uh, well, I'm gonna go and uh, make sure my dope is firmly taped to the stock of my <laughs> rifle and get my wolf stuff dialed in and I'm, uh, I'm excited. You know, for... if, if people didn't know any better, they, they think hunters had a, had a drug problem. You hear them talk about <laughs> hand loading, you know, I'm going to roll my own and then they tape their dope to the side of their <laughs> rifle. Yeah, there's an, I admit, they ought to have a, for those of us old enough to know, they ought to have a book called Hunting with Cheech and Chong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because of all the the uh, terminology that get mixed up with all those dope smokers. Uh, <laughs> well, if, if people aren't getting enough of, uh, of Randy and, and his... <laughs> advice definitely check out hunt talk radio because i i saw a podcast come through there a few oh, weeks gosh. back i'm sorry Corey. I, randy and marital advice yeah oh yeah so on friday our buddy ryan lampers yeah his wife dr hillary <laughs> is going to be on a podcast with me <laughs> along with two other women because we did a podcast about marital advice from the men's side well, Hillary and uh, Jennifer and I think Morgan, I'm trying to talk Morgan into doing it. Uh, they're going to give hunting advice from the women's, from the wife's standpoint. Marital so, advice, right? Marital Not advice, advice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Marital advice for hunters who want to have a long, harmonious relationship. Yeah. So, I think... Uh, People would probably gain more from tuning into the women's perspective than from the men's perspective. <laughs> on I thought about longevity. calling Mrs. Jacobson, but I I didn't want to incriminate my co-host. So I I thought, well, yeah, I'm let she, him you know, she's she's avoided all spotlight when it comes to talking about any of that. So I'm. Uh, it, it might be for my benefit that she's doing that. She's probably trying to help maintain that longevity and. Knows if she comes out and talks openly and honestly about it, that it might hamper us. So that, that might be that might be the advice right there. Is she's, yeah. uh, she's holding her tongue. A closed mouth gathers no foot. <laughs> right, and it would usually be uh, her opening my mouth or her opening her mouth and me inserting my foot in foot. my own mouth. So yeah, yeah. So. No, she's she's awesome, and she's the reason I'm able to do what I do. So I'm I'm excited to hear Doc Hillary and the others talk about their advice. Yeah, I'm. I, I got a list of questions. This is this is gonna change. This is gonna be a game changer to the world of hunting. <laughs> the, the world of hunting after that podcast is never gonna be the same again. I I I would wholeheartedly <laughs> admit that's probably true. Uh, well, awesome. Well, really appreciate uh, everybody listening. I'm sorry I've got such a terrible sinus infection. I, I can't hardly hear anything. I've tried not to sniffle the whole time. My eyes are virtually swollen shut. And uh, so I apologize, folks, if I sounded half spaced out and half asleep, but I'm just 
struggling today. Well, you sounded way better and way more way more coherent than you did when we did the New Mexico podcast. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you had me in Salt Lake City. I hadn't eaten for forty eight hours, <laughs> and we're doing a podcast like podcast number eight that day. I hadn't eaten. I don't even think I'd went and took a pee that day. And you made me sit there for an hour and talk about New Mexico. And I'm trying to make it sound like a great place to hunt. And you're just moaning the blues about how you had to spot and stock an elk to kill an elk there. <laughs> well, uh, I'm... Uh, uh, no, I'm, you sounded great. We'll, uh, we'll take you with a sinus infection over being hangry any day. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, well folks, Corey, yeah. go kill a wolf, would you? I will. I will try. All right, and folks, thanks for listening. Yep, we'll catch you on the next one.